Hey, Blaine from DTC Pod here, and today I've got something you're gonna like. Over the past few years, Capital One's business credit card offerings have made them an industry leader when it comes to return on spend and rewards. Capital One recently rolled out two products, the Spark Cash Plus business card, which gives you 2% unlimited cash back, and more recently, their Venture X business card, which gets you 2x miles on all purchases, 5x miles on travel, and 10x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through CapitalOneTravel.com. We're big fans, and the flexibility and value are huge for anyone running a business. Please connect with our friend Heather Clohesse from Capital One to learn more. I'm dropping her contact info in the show notes. If you're an entrepreneur, you know how valuable the right support can be. We've heard tons about virtual assistants, but what about leveling up even further? Let's think about experts. I came across more staffing recently. They're not just about connecting businesses with virtual assistants. Instead, they focus on matching you with professionals from the Philippines. We're talking about finance, supply chain, operations, marketing, and others. The real kicker? More staffing goes the extra mile. They back their placements with a 12-month guarantee, and they even coach them for the first six months. This ensures you're getting someone who's not only skilled, but also integrates seamlessly into your operations. If you're ready to evaluate and transform your business, head over to morenow.co. Again, morenow.co. Next year's creeping up quick. If you want to skyrocket revenue in 2024, you need tech that puts you in the pilot seat. The new HubSpot Sales Hub will help you close out the year strong and kickstart your success for 2024. Teams can collaborate on every inch of the customer journey and keep operations running smoothly with a comprehensive prospecting workspace and powerful sales and analytics tools that keep data connected across teams. Speed up your workflows and navigate your platform with ease with the AI-powered conversational platform ChatSpot. And use AI Assistant to write copy, generate emails, and more. They'll help you whip up assets and execute tasks that used to take hours out of your workday. HubSpot Sales Hub lets you accelerate every facet of your sales operation with precision. And with over 1,400 integrations, there are tons of ways to mix in new features. So finish out Q4 strong and gear up for the new year with HubSpot Sales Hub. Learn more at hubspot.com sales. What's up, DTC Pod? Today we're joined by Mo Hayek, who is the CEO and founder behind The Limitless Pill um, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So Mo, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you just tell us little bit about your personal background and some of the projects that you're involved in in the space. Yeah, personal background, uh, dropped out of college, got into e-commerce when I was like 17, 18 years old. And back then it was all about dropshipping and finding the next hot product as quick as possible and making as much money off that. And then obviously once I learned the skill sets, I'm like, I got to do something way more valuable than just finding fish lenses online and back posture correctors and selling them for two months. And then now I'm like stuck with my balls in my hands, essentially, right? So the natural evolution of that process was like, how do you build micro brands that you can essentially build enterprise value in, right? Generate revenue, maybe even not even that much profit, but be able to sell that as an asset down the line. So fast forward a few years of between dropshipping, learning the game, obviously properly and testing a fuck ton of products. Uh, I landed on some brands or I landed on some brand ideas. And now the current brand that I'm pushing and operating is Limitless Pill. So I'm not the founder and CEO myself. I'm actually the main operator and I do have a partner as well that found the actual product. I just made it viral. Okay, amazing. Well, that, I'm, I'm, we're more interested in talking to operators anyway because yeah. you guys are the ones making it work. So yeah, why don't you tell me a little bit more about like the concept behind the brand and then like let's go through you know, what it actually takes to, to get it off the ground and like what, what, what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So the concept behind the brand is we're pretty much so my partner jazz at limitless on instagram funny enough he had trademarked the word nzt48 which is the same exact trademark within the movie yeah from bradley cooper yeah i remember that. and he's been sitting on that trademark for years essentially he did like a soft launch like i think in like 2016 2017 when i first was learning dropshipping funny enough he owned the trademark of this product so fast forward a few years later i meet him and you know he has a bunch of products or brands essentially that need to go viral, right? Or start moving off the shelf. So I'm like, this is the one. This one makes a lot of sense. Obviously, on it has already paved the way in the market, right? They already sold like $300 million. Joe Rogan did a lot of educational. So the market's penetrated. Then you see Thesis come into the market. Then you see like other Neurohacker, Aquilia. So the market's been penetrated, but there's still so much opportunity because if you look at the supplement market overall and the nootropics is like very small amount because it's still growing. But the world obviously is all going towards biohacking, brain functionality, right? Natural ingredients, et cetera. So we're like, okay, how do we go ahead and position ourselves in this market 
with a product that has a unique selling advantage and it can compete with multi-million dollar brands. Um, and yeah, NZT48 was born and um, the rest is history. I guess now we'll, we'll dive into it. So yeah, I, and I'd love to, that's actually super fascinating. The fact that you've got like a trademark around a term that like comes out of a movie. So you've got like brand equity already established. And like, you ever got a season desist? No, we actually send those out more than we get. Yeah. Oh my God. So yeah, how, how how does getting a trademark for something like that work, right? Like if, if there's IP that's like essentially like created in, you know, a movie or, or somewhere else, like, yeah, just what does that look like? Yeah, it's really just honestly a timing game. Think about it as like flipping domains or like, you know, patent pending products. As soon as you know the patent's about to expire or a domain's about to expire and there's opportunity to snipe it, like that's what you got to do. And luckily for me, I didn't have to go through that process. Yeah, of course. My partner is really good at it. And, you know, he put enough money obviously up on the bid, was able to snipe that. And then, you know, a few years later, also, now the project's going. Also, I'm sure like at that time, you know, they weren't even thinking of like, we should trademark this because somebody's going to make like an actual product out of it. Exactly. It's also like, you know, the, the timing really worked out for you in the sense that by now, probably movies are trademarking like every product that they invent in the movie or whatever. Yeah. What's really interesting is obviously the movie is like almost a decade old, but now they just released the show. So it's like, not Did only they? are we able to maximize off like the first generation of viewers and adopters, but now we're like, getting even more of a natural boost because of the show actually going live again. So how did you launch? Like, what was the first um, go-to-market? Uh, go-to-market is always like MVP, the minimum viable product that you can launch. As long as you have a really good product, which we had, we're like, okay, let's just put a shitty website up and launch some ads and see kind of yeah. how it works. Sorry if I'm shaking the Before mic. the inventory, before having the product. No, we had the product. You the, had product, the product, we, like it was, it's been in development for like eight months before we launched. Okay. So we already know we had formulated it to like be the best on the market that we okay. could find, right? Okay. Like one of the main advantages we had was being able to pack all the ingredients that let's say an Onnit has and two pills in one, right? Or like a Quelia has in four pills, we have it in one, right? So that was our main advantage is being able to give you a full serving, full nootropic dosage in one pill. And um, we launched with literally like, if you guys do like history of a website, like the shittiest front page with the shittiest product page. And we're like, let's just put some ads out obviously uh, and take over TikTok. And literally within the first month of running between a little bit of TikTok organic and ads, we were able to get like 25 million views, like first wow. month out the gate, right? The first 29 days, like nothing would pop off, like literally day 30. We had one video go crazy, and then from there, it was just like a snowball effect. Like, Was this organic it. content? Like, meaning, well, it was organic content, but was it produced in-house, or was it using creators? Yeah, like, the TikTok strategy right now for any, like, successful e-commerce brand that you're seeing, or, like, a new generation brand, is always TikTok first, right? So, for the TikTok native brands, the main thing you want to do is, essentially, you want to hire these kids or creators, that will run their own secondary pages mm -hmm. that can be very aggressive or very non-formal in their language and their marketing. And they, you pretty much just give them the freedom to do whatever they want, post whatever they want on third-party pages, not your main brand page. You keep your brand page as official, as clean, as on par as you want and as you can. And then those kids can do whatever they want. They can talk conspiracies. They can talk about FOMO, scarcity, mm -hmm. very sales, non-sales, AI. And you kind of count on them to push viral and impressions, virality and impressions to your page. And from your page, they see the representation and the trust, they end up making a purchase. So I definitely want to expand on the TikTok strategy. But before I want to take a step back to, um, to like that first week, first two weeks of 25 million views, um, were you getting conversions? Were you getting sales? Like what happened from there? Sometimes people really hit the mark with like vir virality. They might not get, you know, the sales. They might've gotten the, the views from like a, the wrong country or something like that. Like how did that translate into like the trajectory of the business? Yeah, the key sauce here is like, usually what a lot of people don't understand is once you go viral once, it's not gonna generate, it's not gonna generate you a lot of money because that video is more structured for views. It's not structured for sales. But the way you maximize all the traffic that you're getting from that viral video is by posting another one right after it that's specifically salesy. Mm -hmm. right? And the way we do that, for example, is we'll go viral off one video that's talking about 
if you don't take these pills, for example, or these ingredients, you're going to die in three days, right? Yeah. It's like very controversial, right? Yeah. So it'll engage a lot of people. People will start giving you their opinions. Then what you want to do is you want to find one really good comment and you want to reply to it, right? And you're like, actually, here's why this is true. And then you actually go into the product benefits, the features, and give credibility to the brand. And that's the video that's actually going to generate you sales. Mm. Yeah. That reminds me, uh, just a side note of this video. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'll tell you after the, um, no, I, I'd love to know, because I think this is like a major challenge for any brand. Like they know that like organic social is a, a channel that's tough to crack. And I mean, Ramon and I have been through it. Like, you know, we, we were running a, a creator sprint for cast magic. And I think it, we went through like how many different creators, a whole bunch of different creators, a whole bunch of turns. And literally on like the last one before Ramon was going to be like, fuck this, I'm I'm turning this channel off. Like it hit 6 million views and like, like our, our revenue, like we probably brought in like 20 K worth of MRR in like a week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, I'm curious what it was like. Oh. And the other thing is for our creative that performed, it was also something that like, I didn't even think was going to perform. Like all these other ones I'm like hand holding, trying to tell them everything about the product. And this guy just made some, it was a random listicle of tools and it just blew up. So I'm curious what, like for the limitless pill, right? Like for that creative that like really popped, what was like the concept behind it? And then maybe talk me through some of the concepts that you also thought we're gonna like maybe perform and didn't perform. Yeah, I can't even take credit for the content, like the first content piece that popped off because it wasn't my idea, it was yeah. the creators. So yeah. shout out to that creator, Sydney specifically, that we had at the time. But the video was so organic and we've tried to duplicate this video so many times and it never works again, which is kind of crazy yeah. to think about. But the main theme was like conspiracy style videos. Like, hey, do you remember the movie? Okay, well, here's what you didn't know about the movie, right? This pill, there's actually a real life version of it. But it's banned in all these big pharma stores because they don't want you to be as smart as the elite, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like that conspiracy theory that plays into the native TikTok audience of like younger demographic, younger audiences that's like so into like conspiracies and paradigm shifts and whatnot. And yeah, that literally ended up doing like 2 million views in the first day. And then from there, I think it's done like 10 million more views. Wow. So, okay. So when you look for these creators... Um, you can go for the creator that you're like, all right, this person, cause like the, how beautiful the content is, isn't necessarily a factor. It's somebody who understands the context and just gets it. And you can identify these people by looking at their TikTok page. Um, and however, some of these could already be like, they could already have over hundred K followers there. They might be expensive. So like, how do you spot the talent in the ones that like might just be kids that like, they don't even know yet that they have the capability of going viral? Yeah. Or do you go after the ones that are already like? That's a great question. So the new thing is, especially because of TikTok, like there's an opportunity now, or at least like the arbitrage is like TikTok allows any mom, dad, or child to be a viral sensation overnight as a first time user, right? And we've never had that opportunity in our lives ever before, right? So because there is this platform that's TikTok and it has this behemoth of an opportunity where anybody's a fucking creator, you can go literally find anybody with a brain that's willing to follow instructions to run content for you. And essentially that's what we do, right? So we go on Twitter or we go on these like sub communities, whether it's on Facebook or working with specific communities like my boy Jimmy Farley, shout out to him. He has a great creator community that he kind of trains content with. And we just find kids that are willing to work, get paid, obviously, and do content every single day, right? And as long as they can do that, you give them enough of information where they can use ChatGPT, Dolly, and Submagic, and they can create unlimited content, unlimited ideas, and hopefully hit one dart. For sure. And that one dart can make you endless amounts of money. So in practice, incentive alignment is tough, I feel like, um, with some of these creators. like, I feel like there's a lot of magic in incentive alignment because you don't want to be chasing them. Like, yeah, right. you need to put, you know, you need to get content up today. Well, incentives should be in place for them to want to do it, to get paid. If you don't want to do it, that's your problem. You're not going to get paid. Right. So like, does this consist of a flat fee with upside commission and bonuses on performance? Is it always changing? Yeah. Like there's no blueprint. How do you, how do you approach incentive? Yeah. I think here's the thing, like, just like influencers got like really hyped up and like the rate, until this day, nobody knows what the fuck the rate is per like million <laughs> followers, right? With creators, there's like this 
idea of like per video, right? Which is like per video, I want 30 or 50 or $100. For us, we focus on finding creators that are willing to work with us for three to $500 to post one video a day on TikTok for 30 days, plus the ability to earn 20% commissions. And then where the advantage is, is being able to post those same videos you make on another YouTube or Facebook channel. So now instead of giving yourself one shot a day, you give yourself three shots a day with the same bullet. Yeah, I mean, um, and like it's a volume game at that point, right? Like you reach out to 100, 85 will say no, yep. and then five will say yes. And so then it becomes like a game of just oiling your machine of reaching out and finding those people. Especially like that community you mentioned, um, that's a great place. Like there's a lot of these communities that you could tap into. They've already taken the courses. Exactly. They're hungry. They're ready exactly. to get their first gig and you can tap into those community. Yeah. I, one thing I was curious about in terms of like the system that you're setting up to do, to be able to do the outreach and like manage the whole program. Like how do you run that? Uh, Is it just manual with like a lot of work? I and mean, No, really. It's like, it, it's pretty simple. It's funny. Cause I literally just had like a coaching call area today from like somebody who's doing like $2 million a month, but they are doing nothing on TikTok. And they're like, where do I even start? Right. So the idea is like, you want to not overstress or overwork yourself and try to make everything perfect day one, right? So for example, you hire three to five creators month one, your job is not to babysit them and micromanage them. You just want to give them enough information where they can go ahead and do the selling for you. Your day is not to check on their content every single day, make sure they post it, make sure their scripts are like aligning with your brand messaging. That's the last thing you want to do. You just want to let them like, you literally, it's kind of think about it as a dog or a child. You just put them out and you let them do their thing. And that's what you want to do with these creators when you first start. And then within a month or so, you'll start seeing some creators really get the product, really get the brand and start improving. And some won't. And those that won't, you grunt them off. And those that do, you double down on them, give them more education, and you let them do their thing. So you so you just basically like your time is worth more than trying to like, you know, push around for 500 bucks, whatever. That's so Correct. awesome because whatever works is going to make up. Yeah. Yeah, because like old e-commerce ways or even till this day, right? Like you spend a thousand dollars into scripting, editing, finding the perfect influencer that matches your perfect brand image just to make a video that will most likely flop, right? Instead of investing all that time, you're like, fuck all that. Here's three to 500 bucks. Give me 30 videos and hopefully one of them works. And usually one out of 30 is like a very high chances of you finding one. Right. Yeah, I really like that because, I mean, Ramon, we, we've even seen it like when we brought in like, you know, what, five or six, seven creators into like our kind of pool that we're working with. And some of them were like really good. And not only that, like every video they did would get like better and better in terms of their way to like speak about the product and what they're doing. And then we'd have some that were, <laughs> I think Ramon would just be slacking like, dude, what is going on here? Like, what is this? Like, yeah. this isn't it. Um, but I think to your point, rather than worry about that like that's just kind of the name of the game exactly. and then, it's all your brand like yeah. you said it's a separate page so who cares i mean some of them i could tell like they get stuck on a loop of like same concept over and over it's so, like exactly. clearly doesn't get it um let's talk about i'm curious about tiktok shops so actually that's how i came across your work um i saw you were posting stuff on tiktok shops it's still really early there um so what is is this for the limitless bill that you're working on TikTok shops? Is it for other stuff? What what's going on with TikTok shop? Yeah, I mean TikTok shop is like the new again arbitrage opportunity, right? It's like Amazon day one. What people don't understand is a lot of people are running to TikTok shop as drop shippers because it's like low barrier to entry, but that also means for you as a drop shipper, high saturation rate, right? Because if you can set it up, then there's a million other kids that can do the same thing. And reality, the way you want to look at TikTok shop is like Amazon day one. The people who launched the first protein workout or first house brand or first bed sheet brand on Amazon are still dominating until this day. Why? Because of SEO, keyword rankings, obviously page and reviews. TikTok shop is building the same exact infrastructure that Amazon has. So if you treat that for your brand the same exact way and you can go ahead and leverage the on-platform SEO because now TikTok, if I'm not mistaken, I think I read a stat, 40% of millennials and Gen Z use it as a search engine, right? So imagine search engine for content. And with that content, you have product listings with every single piece of video, which we've never had before, right? That's like going on Google. The first article you find has a product plugged in, yeah, which is not there anymore, right? So that's the opportunity right now that's being built with TikTok shop. And to even make it sweeter, 
because it's such a new product for TikTok and it's in their best interest to win and make it successful, not only are they paying customers to use a TikTok shop, but they're paying brands a credit, incentives, and helping people go viral just for using their new product. Yeah. Mm. So the way it works is basically um, a brand will upload a video linked to their product and then people can check out right there. Does it have to be an actual company or can a creator link to a shop? Yeah, like, as of right now, so the way we have it set up, for example, is first we built a TikTok army and then now that TikTok army has the opportunity to connect to TikTok shop. I see. So now all of those kids and all those pages yeah. connect with our TikTok shop and yeah. in-platform in affiliate, in-platform commission, in-platform sales. So it's a no-brainer. There's like, it's crazy because like now there's like many playbooks to run with TikTok. Like Instagram is like sponsor and influencer. And then it's like, make reels go viral. But like, I mean, this is the biggest threat to Amazon at the moment. Correct. It's, it's you know, that done is like doing stuff in UGC, et cetera. But like TikTok is getting so far ahead. You can run the the organic content playbook. You can do ads. You can run the influencer play. Now you can do shop. Now you can run SEO. I mean, just the SEO alone, it's like a whole strategy and yeah. like how you like put the keywords. I was looking the other day, there's like tools already that help you like um, fine for SEO, like even real estate, it's it's wild. So um, I'm curious, like what type of success have you seen? Like what are some of the numbers that you've seen that made you say, all right, my attention should be here? Yeah, well, number one thing is TikTok, I believe pays about $20 for each brand new customer on TikTok to use TikTok shop. So if I'm selling a $30 product, my customer is only paying $10. So if I can position myself in front of a million customers, for example, they're only going to pay one third of my product cost, but I'm still going to get paid the full revenue thanks to TikTok. So that's already a no brainer. Two is if you run ads to TikTok shop, which I haven't done much yet, they're still giving you as a brand credit to run ads towards their TikTok shop. Mm -hmm. Three is just the early adopter movement, right? So the earlier you are, the better because you get to be infiltrated in the system, you get priority support, and you get to kind of see what's good and what's bad in the platform and be a part of that success early on. So in terms of, and I'm curious, what are brands selling? Are brands selling 20 grand a day, 40 grand a day? Is the algorithm pushing for more or less? Yeah, I mean, right now there's a max of 200 orders a day per new brand. And then usually after like 30 to 60 days, once they see that your 200 orders a day are being fulfilled on time within two to three days, oh, I see. and your score rating is 100%, then they allow you to extend. Oh, wow. Right? So what people don't understand is, TikTok's taking this very seriously because they don't want dropshippers and they made that clear because they don't allow you to ship from China, mm. the US. That's, That's completely right. banned, right? <laughs> are there products that are banned? Like There's no products that are banned, but you can't just, you can sell pretty much anything as long as you have certifications. Okay. So TikTok will ask you for specific certifications, invoices, proof of business. They want to make sure they're not selling shit product because at the end of the day, it's their customer, mm -hmm. right? You're not getting access to their emails, their names, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure, they want to make sure you're selling good quality products. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm curious, let's say I'm a brand, let's say I'm the brand that you had the call with. I'm a, a brand making $2 million a month. Yeah. I haven't done anything on TikTok and I want to like, I'm overwhelmed. There's like, I, I, like I mentioned before, I can do the organic, I can do the shops. Should I hire an agency? Should I consult with someone and then build the playbook in house? Like what, are, what is the best way to- Yeah, for me, agencies are a no-go. They've always been a no-go just because they kind of treat you like a one-night stand, right? I think every single agency out there, and again, I can say this because I've been an agency and I've been a brand older, you're only cool for the first month, yeah. if that, right? You're usually only the top priority client for the first week. And as soon as I sign somebody else, it's fuck this guy, let me go help this, right? So agencies always suck, so you never want to pay those guys. Um, what you really want to do is try to do this thing in-house. Very TikTok, Right now, as VAs. I'm speaking, yeah, obviously VAs, just in-house talent, whatever the case may be. Your main goal should be to one, build as many secondary pages as you can through other creators. Because now you have a content building machine and you have a workflow of virality, essentially, right? Now, once you do that, because of TikTok shop, they have their own creator marketplace. So inside of your TikTok shop, you can actually go ahead, set specific parameters for the type of influencers you want to work with, for example, and allow those influencers to request free samples from your product. So you can say, hey, this month of November, I want to go ahead and give away a thousand free samples. Okay. So what you can do is you can say anybody with 10,000 followers, 30 videos in the last month, and $10 generated can get a free sample from me. 
And TikTok requires every single person that requests a free sample to make a video for you. So now you're pretty much letting yourself automate an affiliate machine on TikTok shop, plus all the viral content that you have, right? Because you don't want to look for creating viral content just to generate sales. You want views and you want to find more affiliates. And the best way to do that is by seeing your content over and over again, go viral. So they're like, hey, I'm a creator. I want to go viral. Let me sell this product. Mm, dude, that's crazy. It's 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 almost like I know Facebook or Instagram just shut down like Instagram shop and all of this, but it seems like it was so backwards because they just tried to they just tried to take uh, you know, a shopping experience and lump it onto Instagram, whereas TikTok is saying, No, let's build out the whole like value chain, let's factor in the creator, let's factor in the affiliate component and let's factor in the brand. Yeah. To like really build the flywheel. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to like the idea of like Instagram wasn't built for shopping, right? Exactly. It never was. And they kind of put themselves in this corner slash this pedestal when Instagram started becoming like the the luxury lifestyle slash education platform, right? And once you go with more like education and information, then you you can't like natively connect with people. The reason why TikTok shop is crushing it compared to Instagram is because Again, going back to that first point, anybody can go in, either make money or get really good fucking deals, mm -hmm. right? Instagram didn't do that. People don't go on Instagram to do either or. And on top of that, TikTok is entertaining. Mm -hmm. So if you get if you can get entertained, get coupons and make money, why the fuck would you want to be on Instagram job? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm curious what the what the stack would look like for a company to to run this in house. And I'm curious because like our sponsor of this episode, actually, it's more now it's a manager VA company but they focus on like management level okay we use a bunch of vas like you know they basically do a bunch of our work too so i'm big on vas i'm curious what is the ideal team stack for running this operation and it's like how many people and for tiktok specifically yeah like TikTok let's say you want to crush tiktok like yeah like let, let, let's say you wanted to like you didn't really have a, a solid tiktok strategy in place yeah. maybe you had a couple of creators making videos but let's say you want to like build out like automation to the recruitment of like TikTok creators that are like spinning up pages as well as like layering in uh, TikTok shop? Like what does the lift look like? I mean, our business does over a million dollars a month and we have seven people. Mm -hmm. So let that sink in. Like for TikTok specifically, we have a VA and then and a manager to manage that VA essentially. Yeah. As long as your team is full of athletes, right? Essentially like that can play right. multiple positions. That's the key thing. But in general, like one VA is able to manage and onboard the brand new TikTok creators and then go ahead and do outreach and message those people. It's not rocket science. Yeah. The the seven, the, the other people though, like are eight players. Yeah. I mean, I would say so, but at the same time, it, like again, running an e-commerce business is not hard and it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. It's like you need one video editor that can create really good video ads. You need one really good graphic designer, a creative strategist that can tell you the type of ads and then a media buyer for each platform. Right. If you can do that and structure a really good squad, then you can probably run it up as far as you want, as long as operations is on hold, et cetera. Right. Sweet. So let's take a step back. I want to talk about some of your other experience. Like yeah. what, before um, Limitless Pill, I know you've worked on a whole bunch of different brands. Like what were you what were you focused on before it and what are what's some of the other stuff you do? Yeah. So mid COVID, actually, I came across trends.com. I'm not sure if you guys heard of them. Trends? trends. Oh, yeah. 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 Trends.com and trend.io. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's uh, the plot that was owned From by Sampar and yeah, Shop Fury. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So uh, I came across trends literally mid COVID and I signed up for a dollar and I came across an article talking about uh, the, uh, the online plant industry is going to boom. I still have that fucking article bookmarked. And I read through the article and they give me the top five plants I should sell, who the top competitors are, you know, the operations and the hurdles you need to get over. But long story short, here's a gold buy essentially for you to dig in. I'm like, okay, let me try selling plants online. It's COVID. You can't leave the house. So it makes all the sense. So long story short, I copy paste the website, literally like the whole website, I just copy paste it, change the logo. And I'm like, let me run some ads. Right. I had, I've never been to a nursery. I don't even know what the plants are called still. I just like coffee, yeah. paste and never. Right. And I launched and I think within the first week we make like $20,000 off like two mm -hmm. to $3,000 in spent. And I'm like, holy fuck. Like people are really buying plants. So now we refund all those orders, sit down try to figure out the nursery, the uh, operations, the packaging. And 
throughout the year of COVID, after figuring all that out without going too much in depth, we did close to like $2 million in sales, selling plants online. (laughs) And that was like the first experience of like what a brand looks like and what you can do when you have a brand versus like selling drop shipping products. And from there, it was like, okay, plants was really fucking tough. It was a really fucking headache because we're selling live plants. Right. Now are dying on the way to us. They're dying on the way to the customer. They're dying in the fucking warehouse that we're storing. So it was overall a headache. I ended up closing that business down. It lost money after the first year. Funny enough, we had an offer that I declined. Yeah. Uh, I would definitely take that offer back now. <laughs> but um, that was like kind of the first brand experience that I had. And from there, it was like, okay, what's the next thing? And, you know, one thing led to another and now we're... We are really excited to announce that DTC Pod is officially part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals. And we're really excited about being part of the network because we're going to be able to keep growing the show, bringing you guys amazing guests, and obviously helping you guys learn from the best founders, marketers, and builders of the most successful consumer brands. So anyway, keep listening to DTC Pod and more shows like us on the HubSpot Podcast Network at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Yeah, and I'd love to talk about some of those, um, the considerations, because like you're saying, when you're when you're selling plants, I think a lot of people who get into e-commerce, they're really focused on a product, a pain point they're solving, but sometimes like maybe it's not really suit well suited for an e-commerce direct consumer motion but so i'd love to talk through some of the challenges that you had like doing the plant stuff like like you said the plants are dying they're live they're big to ship like how how'd you store them how'd you find them how'd you ship them like break it down there's a lot into that you know it's funny because if if i were running that business now i would have made it like 10 times more profitable because i know all the things that i could have fixed early on The issue was, the main issue, at least one of the main issues, was the actual industry and the product, right? The product was perishable, and the industry was outdated. The only way now when I look back at it to, like, really win in that industry was to pretty much own the actual supply, as in the farm, Mm. and grow my own plants, right? Because one of the main issues, like, we actually faced a lot of trouble on Black Friday, and we ended up shutting down, like, February and March the year after because we couldn't fulfill all the volume we did on Black Friday. So we sold close to $180,000 in sales in one day on Black Friday. All plants. And these are, like, $100 plants. So you do the math on how many orders, right? I call my farmer up, which is my supply chain. I'm like, hey, I need this amount. No problem. The week after, I get, like, one-tenth of them out. Hey, what happened to my PO? Oh, we had a storm. All the crop died. Uh-oh. The week after, we had a fire. The week after, oh, the plants aren't ready enough. The week after, the leaves are too small, right? So it's like one thing led to another, to another, and now you have angry customers, you have chargebacks, like you can only do so much consolidation, and that business just turned into a headache. That's one side, is the supply chain. The other side was like the actual packaging. So we sold potted plants, not just plants, meaning we got the plants from Florida, right? We had to ship it to our warehouse. In our warehouse, we repotted them. So we took it from the shitty nursery pot into a ceramic pot because we were selling luxury plants. So we would buy the plant for $10, sell it for $150. Yeah. So we had to put it in a nice ceramic pot. (laughs) Now, after potting in that ceramic pot, we had to essentially hire people to learn how to pot plants. And then those same people had to learn how to package, right? Which the packaging was like a 10-step formula that we had to come up with. So it was just like a complete headache. But going through that business, I learned like the hardest stage of operations, I feel like. Yeah. Where now I can like sell anything in any manner, in anywhere, in any shape, like, because I've been through the hardest shit. I mean, counterintuitively, like there are then markets where like there's no barrier to entry. So then it gets rapidly saturated, right? Like the fact that like, yeah, that was a huge pain point, but like that's why also not many people were probably trying to do it. At that point in time, I'm curious, are there specific criteria for the products that you want to do that like they must have in order, like, for example, they say the riches is in the niches, but like at the same time, like does, does stuff that's niche, like go viral? Like, does it have to be like super broad consumer and apply to literally everyone in order for this stuff to work? Yeah. Great question. So it's like, think about it this way, right? Society or the e-com culture is training you to make $10,000 a month drops from the product. When in reality, you can take that same product, build it for three to five years and sell it for $100 million, right? 
Like, and that's been proven over and over again with multiple brands. So for us, we look for products that solve a problem, correlate to a passion and they're perishable because we want to resell the customer. We want to engage them emotionally. And then we want to be able to solve their problem in their life that they face off. So as long as the product falls into those three categories, then we continue selling that product and build around that idea. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. That's a great framework. Um, I'm curious, just going back to the plants for a second, like how did you guys... <laughs> How'd you guys like scale all this sort of stuff? Like, who are you? Who are you hiring? Where did you go to do it? Like, where was your warehouse? Like, dude, it, it, it's the thing is like, as an entrepreneur, you never think about how you're gonna do it. You just do the just thing do and you figure it out. You like what? every single time, I was in a position where it's like I sold the product, then I figured out how to deliver yeah. it. Right? I took over the warehouse and I figured out how to pay for it. I just hired a person. I figured out how to train them. Right? Yeah. It's never like, oh, I have this magical system yeah. that I have now. Just come in go through the system and life is perfect. So lo- looking back at it, like I remember our first facility when we were shipping plants from Miami to Boston and then shipping from Boston, we we had taken over a warehouse. Uh, our USPS guy, our UPS guy at the time, this guy Phil was like the most depressed UPS driver. It's like, what's up, dude? Every <laughs> fucking time I would show up. He's like, what are you guys fucking doing? Right? Like first week, he's like picking up three plants, 10 plants, 20 plants a day. He's like, you guys need help? I was like, yeah. So he literally calls up like the local hockey kids that work in that city and they all need jobs. So we literally hired like half the hockey team, dude, to fucking fulfill products for us. That's epic. Yeah. That's And they've never done no packaging. They don't even know what e-commerce is. They just came in there. Right. So that was like one big blessing. And then like we moved to another warehouse and we ended up knowing a friend that we like his mom was a realtor. So we ended up working with her and then she recommended like kids from his high school. And then we ended up doing the same thing here, right? It was just like, just being very resourceful. Like that's what it is as an entrepreneur. You just got to pull strings, figure out who you have. And then, you know, between God and your plan, like things will work out. So so here's my question. You you said you, there were a couple things you'd do differently if you could start your plant business over from day one. What what would those be? Like if you were, if you had to execute on a plant business today, how would you spin it up? Yeah. One, I would own the supply chain right away. I would go to work with a farmer and make sure that I can literally ship and manage the farm myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if I could ship from the the, the, the same moment I'm picking the plant out, then my chances of success in that plant being in great shape is like 30 times. Well, how right? do you know that's a worthy investment? Because that's what the biggest competitors in the industry do now. But like, like for that specific vertical or product, we're saying, we're saying if he has to do his plant business yeah. all over again. Okay. What like you already validated, so you know it's worth to do that. Correctly, okay. correctly. And there's brands like the Sill or Bloomscape. Like these are all yeah, yeah, brands yeah. that do millions of dollars a month, and that's their business model to a yeah. T. Right? That's number one. Number two is invest in packaging. We bootlegged our packaging, meaning we bought foam, we bought boxes, we bought inserts to make this one unique packaging instead of like spending 100K up front to develop a specific box that can hold your plant and make sure it's not going to break. And mm. And the third thing was I would build a community-based brand where I'm charging, let's say, $20 or $8 a month to generate more profits to allow people to maintain and like further take care of the well-being of their plant. Because mm-hmm. that's one thing we kind of like, we did good, but we didn't do great. And I think between good and great, like there's a lot of plants, for example, that as soon as you get it, it might look dead today. But you give it some water, you put some sun on it, for example, you give it some more educational it'll it'll survive so between like making more profit as an info product owning the actual supply chain and then investing in the most important thing which is the packaging those are the three main things i would do to turn that business around like what about on the marketing front what would you have done differently like, nothing nothing, nothing. It was <laughs> the, and marketing wasn't the problem marketing is never the problem it's always the supply chain so what was the marketing then for that business um tiktok wasn't around at the time so yeah. it was instagram and facebook and influencers yeah we yeah. had like literally like kylie jenner's friends like stassi Chantel jeffries like all these people who are locked in their home especially girls who absolutely love plants, which I had no clue, just ship them a free plant. We would have a post from like 10 million followers say, I love plants. And it was like a new thing, right? Like when have you ever gotten reached out by a plant company, right? So like, yeah, marketing is never the problem. Marketing is always the easiest thing. It's how do you fulfill your promise that you're doing on the marketing side is the heart. You know, it's a funny story during the pandemic. um, I ordered tuna from Hawaii to my apartment and it was really good. But it like it took so long to get there, and so um, they were just like backed up, backed up. And I was like, this actually came all the way from Hawaii, 
and I'm from the Caribbean. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, I should just get lobsters from the Caribbean and like sell them online. So I made a landing page where I ran ads. It was called Caribbean Catch. And I, the ads blew up. Like average order value was like $300 on like lobster and tuna. And I didn't have any of the supply figured out. So then I started like cold calling like places in Jamaica, like, you know, that they just like, they supply lobster to red lobster and all this stuff i was like i gotta get back to software like you know like just like frozen foods yeah i mean just like just having to figure out like the shipment of like you know it's it has to arrive frozen and like the zoning and all that the cost the margins just it yeah it reminded me of that yeah Selling lobsters online, wow. That's <laughs> yeah. live love. I thought that's what you got. I thought plants was hard. You're trying to sell animals. Yeah. <laughs> Some live lobsters online. Um, and that's cool. So so what else do you do now? Now you say you do some consulting with brands too. So like, why don't you walk me through that? Like, what do you do with brands? What's your process? Like, what else do you Yeah, I mean, my, everything I, like the main thing is the main thing. It's always e-commerce. We just kind of like do different things. So whether it's we operate brands, we incubate brands, or we help grow brands as simple as that. So brands will come up to us, they'll say, hey, we love your, what you're doing with brand so-and-so on TikTok, can you help us do that? So we'll easily go in, consult, help them build the system out, recruit them, you know, the creators, we want to point them towards the right direction. But there's no like magic sales pitch, it's just like brands need help and specific things that we're really good at. And we just go ahead and help you with that. Sweet, and then what? why don't you talk to us a little bit about the incubation side? That's really cool. Yeah, the incubation side is really just comes down to like finding opportunity in the market and being able to maximize that opportunity. Like now the game is for me because I have the leverage is I go ahead and let's say I want to launch a new supplement. My goal is not to do the R&D and develop the supplement with my own money. It's to go ahead and find a manufacturing facility that has the money, has the resources, and has the machinery and be like, hey, I'm running this brand up. Here's my portfolio. I'll give you 10% of the brand if you could do the R&D for me and make me this specific product. So that's the idea of incubation. And we specifically focus on supplements and beauty. It's either feel good or look good because those are recession-proof industries. And people always want to do those two things. Mm -hmm. So we go ahead, we partner up with a manufacturing facility, all usually in the U.S. or Mexico right now is a really hot spot. You give them part of your portfolio or give them part of your brand. You partner up with that manufacturing facility so you save yourself a fuck ton of cost and time. And then you go ahead and incubate it, you know, in a brand new market. I bet that portfolio looks good. Uh, it's pretty healthy. Kind <laughs> of, it's pretty. Because I mean, um, it, it, it's a tough sale probably for anyone who's like approaching, like you, you've done it before and you've proven it over and over. So how do you vet those partners? And to be honest, it's not, it, like I'm going to answer your question, but it's not really a hard process because it's like think about it this way: when we first started this podcast, right? Like you guys are really good at SaaS and you're trying to do direct consumer, and it's like for me, it's the other way around. So for suppliers. The issue is they always see brands like us ordering from them all the time, but they don't get it. Like they don't understand where they're selling it or how they're selling it, but they want to be involved, right? Because they're always, they're fulfilling the invoices that you're paying, right? So it's a really easy sell if you're like, hey, who do you manufacture for? Well, I manufacture for, I don't know, Sweet Dreams, for example. Oh, really? Okay, well, I'm going to do the, something very similar. Do you want to own part of Sweet Dreams, right? So it's like, it, it's pretty organic. But for me, in terms of vetting those partners, I mean, usually it's either word of mouth or just seeing what other products they've done. And if they've done other products for other brands that are really good, then obviously they can produce something really good for me too. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it, it makes a bunch of sense, right? Because like their focus and their core competency is manufacturing, which right. is not an easy thing to do. Like, especially if you've been inside some of these factories, yeah. like getting those things up and running and like like Ramon, that the olive, the olive brand that we're working on, like they process 500 tons of olives every day. Like just imagine the CapEx to like build out a facility and like run an operation that does that. But then to like go and scale out like the actual brand component of it, like there's That's a lot, like yeah. going and recruiting creators and, and, and running ads. Facebook ads and getting behind their computer. It's a different world, right? So. Uh, and there's a reason why every manufacturer doesn't have an Instagram page. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, they don't, that's not what they do, but they would love to do it. They just don't have the time and the capability to do so. Yeah. And then you've got all the brands that are like hammering the, the distribution and the consumer side. So right. it's just different, different, different sort of markets. So I'm curious, why don't you tell us some of the brands that you've 
that you're look you said you like looking at supplements and beauty. So what are some other products that you're looking at that you've worked out? What are some concepts that really have excited you and stuff like that? Um, right now there's a few industries that really excite me. They all revolve around like health in a sense. Like for example, one thing I do see in the upcoming, I think two to three years that'll be really popping is the opposite of what's popping now, which is like energy, right? Everything being sold online right now is like testo boosting, energy, get high, get more energy, more caffeine, etc. I think the opposite kind of loop is going to come around in the next two, three years. It's like you've taken all these supplements to fucking boost your energy. It's time for you to take supplements to wind down. So not to go to sleep, but just wind down, maintain your energy levels, good mood, etc. So I think that's one really big broad industry that's going to pop off pretty soon. Another one is actual health. The idea of health, but more tailored specialty health, meaning you take supplements, right? I take supplements. Have you ever tested what supplements you need for? Have you? Me either. But what do I take them? Because online tells me, right? Gurus, other people tell me this is the right thing to do. So for example, I think 90% of men take testosterone boosters, but they've never measured their testosterone. So think about, think about the idea of like selling a health kit that can go ahead and help people measure their health at home, return it to you, and then you sell their supplements to it, right? So it's like just the idea of like tailored health towards where we're going to, specifically specifically around like the biohacking or the calming down and like this, the whole Zen energy thing. I think like that's what really excite, excites me right now. Yeah, I think the, the biohacking industry, is so it's so interesting to me because like, you have like people like Huberman and all these other people like leading the charge around it. It's just so fascinating that like it took like this long before like a Stanford professor and now like everyone in the world is like tuning into a Stanford professor. And then on top of that, you have all these like influencers who are like typically, you know, like going out, drinking, dressing up, going to events. And now all of a sudden they're like, <laughs> they're like reciting like yeah these complex like neurological terms like being like absolute biohackers but i think part of it too is like you know as creators they're educators as well they have audience yeah. and like this is really exciting content that they can share and they want to share new and novel ideas and content so i think that that like really pairs it's it's just an interesting pairing between creator like science, something new, novel, people exactly. need to be different. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious on that note. So like what makes a great brand? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. So yesterday I was at an event where the founder of Hims and Hers, which is a billion dollar brand, was talking. And then another founder from uh, Glow Recipe, which is like a hundred million dollar brand was talking. And they were both talking about the idea of like, what makes a brand? At the end of the day, a brand is really just the way you communicate to a specific group of people and doing it consistently for a long period of time. That communication can be whether it's through product, which is having a really high quality product every single time. It can be through customer service, having really good customer service every single time, or from a visual representation, which a lot of people think what a brand is, a really nice logo color that's consistent on every single platform. So like the idea of brand is like just being consistent to a group of people for a very long time. And if you can do that, then you have a brand with a thousand loyal followers, that'll go ahead and do a lot of science or, or a lot of marketing for you for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's funny because like there, there's a lot of, actually, this is a great timing in, in a market opportunity for like M&A. Like I saw you had a post of, like you'd sent this tweet of like beekeepers. Yeah. Like brand is like, you know, they, they have the brand, they're established, they're doing absolutely nothing on TikTok. Yeah. Like that's a perfect roll up opportunity. I mean, that's probably what Open Store is going to do and right. all these other people. It's like, you could buy these brands that are established and just run the playbook. Is that something you're actually like interested in yourself? Yeah, I think there's opportunity not only like, like a lot of people can't afford to buy brands like beekeepers, for example, mm -hmm. and taking them online, right? But there's like opportunity for you as like the online expert to go work with these big brands and say, hey, give me a piece of equity or a really high salary, for example, or a piece of what I make here. Or a lot of honey. For building, yeah, for building your online piece, right? Because like, the way I think about it, business is this, right? For example, the reason why my partner worked up, like partnered up with me, like he's our, he owns a jet, he's super fucking rich, pro guy's probably worth like $100 million. He worked with me because one, I'm young, two, I'm more involved in the industry than he is. And somebody who's older than you that's already crushing it in a specific department, like let's say Fiji, for example, right? Just stupid example. They're already doing a lot of good things that are right. 
right? They're not going to waste time and try to relearn what the new strategy is. They want to go ahead and hire somebody who does. So for you as an entrepreneur, like the best opportunity you can do now is be really good at this skill, whether it's TikTok shop or ads or creative strategy, and go find brands that are lacking that online presence and say, hey, I'll run the whole show for you. You just need to give me X, Y, and Z. And there's a huge opportunity to do that. Yeah, I think it's always like that. It's a, it's like a tale as old as time. It's like when we were, uh, I feel like when I was graduating, I was like apps were like a, a really big thing and like yeah. no one had a mobile app. And it's like, if you could build a mobile app for someone, it was like yeah. the biggest thing now. And now like apps are like a dime a dozen. And like, even the way we think about building apps, it's like, it doesn't make sense to build an app unless you really need an app. And there's like a real use case around yeah. it. But like, at that time when when there's a like a shift in culture or what people are focused on you know like that's where there's an opportunity for you can go and learn the new thing and then the bigger business who like they don't have to worry about it, their core competency is somewhere else they can kind of bring it in um so i mean as we kind of wrap up here we'll, like why don't you tell me tell us about miami right like how, how long have you been here how, how's the how's the e-commerce scene been what what do you like? What do you like about it? I love the weather in Miami. I love the food and I love the culture to some degree, but I also hate how absorbing it is, right? Like if you don't have a good head between your shoulders, yeah. it's really easy to get sucked in and fall for what Miami truly is, right? And the grass is never greener on the other side. And that's the true definition of Miami. Like they can be driving Lambos and wearing jewelry and popping bottles at the club, but in reality, they probably go back to their mini apartment, their million dollars in debt, and their family hates them, right? So, like, when I first moved to Miami, I kind of went through that whole Miami phase of, like, going out Thursday through Sunday and yeah. Kiki on the River and Komodo and Live and all these cool stuff. But then you realize you're like, oh, I'm just wasting my money here, and this is here forever. Like, it's not going anywhere, like... Oh, Kanye is here today. Well, he's going to be here next year. Same exact time. <laughs> yeah. you know Drake's here today. He's going to be here next month. Same exact time. So it's like you never miss out on anything. But yeah, that's kind of like the story of Miami, right? It's like if you have a good head on your shoulders, it's great to network, like great people like you guys, obviously. The community, the hustlers is like a lot of that inspiration that you need is here. But that same inspiration can make you feel, I guess, depressed and feel like you need to compete or do stuff that you're not really supposed to do. Yeah, hundred percent. I I feel like for for us, I got I got lucky. I feel like I'd been kind of over like that phase of my life, I guess. So for me, it's like a, a great home base, and like I love being able to like meet up, especially like do a lot of in person stuff. I yep. think it's great for that. Um, whereas bef like New York might be like almost a little bit overwhelming because yeah. like everyone in the world is there, so you can like balance your your life. I think it's been. Good. I think it's still early here though. Like yeah, I think so too. There's so much going on, um, but yeah. Yeah, man. Anyway, this was a whole bunch of fun. Why don't you shout out um, your socials? Where can people Twitter, connect? Twitter is the main thing, the Mohayek, or just go to mohayek.com and uh, you'll find a bunch of stuff. How do you spell that? M-O-E-H-A-Y-E-K.com. Sweet. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, boys. Well, it was great. That was great, man. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show, and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.